Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, hello, and welcome to Mapping the College Audition a podcast where we explore the landscape of the college theater world and try to demystify this daunting audition process. I'm your host, Charlie Murphy, director of MTCA, Musical Theater College Auditions, and today we've got a baller show lined up for you. (laughs) Um, We've known Bill Jenkins for a number of years and had a really great relationship with him and the school. Uh, They have done private walk-in auditions for us, as well as most recently a masterclass with Michael Rafter and Didi Batiste that Bill mentions at the end of the pod. Uh, And right after the pod, we like quickly dove into chatting about some amazing specific MTCA slash Ball State alums, of which there are many. Uh, Today on the pod, we get into recruiting great human beings and the difficulty of soft skills. Uh, We talk about their multiple showcases. They have showcases in three different cities and how it works um, with getting into those showcases at Ball State. Um, We talk about making students pivot quickly, sort of creating adaptable students. We talk about giving and giving back and Ball State's history of beneficence. Uh, We talk about this idea of you're interviewing the school as much as they're interviewing you. Uh, We talk about proactive versus reactive and what the mindset of universities should be, how to activate their goals. And we talk about the balance of having grace and demanding rigor. But Megan, before we get too deep into that, how was your Thanksgiving? Oh, thanks, Charlie. Uh, It was wonderful. So I'm the youngest of five siblings. So it's very rare that all of us get together. So this Thanksgiving was a Thanksgiving in a while that we all haven't been together. And my nieces were there as well, which is always the joy of the fam. Mm-hmm. So it's very exciting. But we've talked briefly about your Thanksgiving, but you were also at um, the Sondheim tribute this weekend. How was that? Yes, we all were mourning the loss of Sondheim this weekend. Um, I, th- I thought that event went so beautifully. I was really touched with like, how many um, people showed up and how many performers, like, especially over like the breadth of his life that we really saw some people who were very new to him and maybe had a, an ancillary ancillary relationship. Some people who had known him for 60 years and had, you know, original Broadway jackets on and and some of those stuff. Um, It also was really sweet because like, I felt like I got to feel a little bit of the embrace of the community and the kind of family that it really is. Like so many people, I was there with a hungry baby. And so like right after the event, I like ran up to the, to Elizabeth so we could feed her. And so many people who I don't know personally at all recognized Solvay and me from, I guess from Instagram, I guess from, you know, but, but it really feels like a family. Like she's over there. She's like, I don't know who you are, but thank you. So nice. (laughs) Um, It was really, really sweet. It definitely was like one of those New York city events that like, I was so glad to be at, you know, Um, you have that experience for like a lot in the city. I'm sure everywhere too, but I feel like I've had that experience a lot in the city where you could be at something with 50 people, but you're like, this is the right room to be in tonight on this Friday. (laughs) 
these 50 people at this weird piano bar at this weird cabaret <laughs> or, you know, at this new play reading that nobody's seen yet, but it's just like, this is special. This is a special thing to be at. It definitely felt a little bit like that. Um, I mean, there must've been maybe a couple hundred people there, but it definitely feel like an event that kind of resonated throughout the country. And, um, so it was kind of nice to be there. And, and I've missed that feeling through the pandemic, right? I've missed like having the feeling of like being at a place that was important to be at because we spent so much time on these damn screens. Um, right. that, that really felt nice. Yeah. And what a beautiful way to, have a tribute for him he brings all these broadway communities together and i think someone mentioned online that every broadway show is represented in some shape or form mm-hmm. in Times square which is so cool and such a way to be memorialized yeah and it's so interesting when someone dies later in life like there definitely were people there who were really weeping and who are really choosing to find a grief and a, a mourning from his passing i think i'm feeling a little bit more like it was a celebration. It felt like that was a lot of the vibe of it was like, let's celebrate the amazing gifts he has. Of course, all reactions are right. You know, you'll, you'll see the varying yeah. reactions online. You'll see them, whatever. There's nothing wrong with how you feel. But um, it did feel like, especially with him getting to live this full life and really have the breadth of his career, you had so many people just really joyful about him too and, and all that he's done and all that he's brought. And so even, even though many people were crying, it felt like a lot of the tears were tears of joy at the beauty of this work and the, the you know, sort of life that this man led. Yeah. And then in addition to your exciting weekend, we got some exciting stuff up coming up in MTCA, right? We sure do, Megan. Thank you for reminding me. Um, this is really just, I want to throw all of you a heads up. Um, we're having an event specifically for juniors um, or for younger uh, students. It's really into, aimed at juniors, but you're welcome um, if you're a younger sophomore, freshman, et cetera, or the parent of one such student. Um, we're going to be having like a fun workshop style event, which is really a chance to meet MTCA um, or for any students who just want more information about kind of launching their college audition journey. Is this right for me? Do I Do I want to be somebody who's potentially looking at theater schools for college. Um, it's a really low commitment. It's only going to be 20 bucks, um, and you don't have to commit to anything beyond that. We'll be releasing a lot more information next week in terms of an exact date, time. It'll have ways to click and, and sign up and other things. I just wanted to put it on all your radars just in case you're one of those people who's only a college deep dive listener mm. and not an artist exploration listener. We discourage that, Megan. We want everyone yes. to listen to everything. Um, but in case uh, you don't listen to both, um, look out for that in next week's episodes. And or if you just can't wait, we're releasing this information later this week. So you could go to mtcollegeauditions.com. Just generally, you could be checking us out uh, um, as of uh, early next week. It will be up on the website for sure. Um, Well, with all that, let's get into this episode with Bill. Well, we are honored to have Bill Jenkins on the pod today. Uh, Bill has a bachelor's and master's degree from this very Ball State University. Um, He has an MFA in directing from Illinois State University. Uh, He is an active professional director, having directed over 50 shows all over the country, and is currently the chair of Ball State's Department of Theater and Dance, where he serves as a full professor of musical theater, directing and acting, and was named the Outstanding Administrator at Ball State in 2015. Uh, Ball State is in Muncie, Indiana. They take classes of about 20 to 22 students and offer degrees as a BFA in acting, BFA in musical theater, BFA in dance, and some other creative degrees, which we may get into today. Um, Bill, welcome on the pod. How are you doing this morning? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this. And uh, we were so uh, fond of MTCA and all the fabulous students that we get and the wonderful things that you provide to students in this day and age. It's great to get students who are well-prepared and students who are on their game. And certainly MTCA students come to us with that all the time. So thank you for having me. 
So nice. And to begin with a compliment, my gosh, what a way to start. I love it. Um, why, why don't we, before we dive too deep into Ball State, just tell me a little bit about your own background and kind of how you found yourself back teaching. Uh, yeah, I, as, a, as you said, I went to Illinois State University, had a great uh, time there working with the Illinois Shakespeare Festival and working professionally in Chicago and taught. My first teaching gig was at the University of North Dakota, which is um, cold. And, uh, and then uh, by happenstance, a job came up to coordinate the musical theater program here at Ball State. Um, and I, I applied and got the job. And then a couple of years later, the department chair uh, took another position and I got an interim position. And, you know, now I think this is my 19th year as chair at Ball State. So um, I've been very fortunate um, and have made Ball State and Muncie my home. And uh, my wife and myself and our two kids um, have really found this place to be um, a great place for us and a great fit. And Ball State is a is a community of people that I love, and mm. it's an institution that I believe in a great deal, and what we stand for, and what we what we strive to do with our students. So um, I'm looking forward to talking about that today, and just talking about this crazy sort of coming out of COVID. What does this yes. world look like for this profession? You know. Yeah, well, what such a great segue. So let's get into a little bit of sort of what that culture you've created. In brief, what what do you feel like it means to be a Ball State student? What do you sort of see as um, the ethos of someone who wants to go to Ball State? I always say that we are really interested in recruiting talented people, but we're more interested in recruiting great human beings. I think that's the number one thing I care about. I think we all care about. I think the thing that's come out of COVID for me the most, and I don't, everybody's sort of going to be different, is you realize how fortunate we are to do what we love, um, but also how much we rely on being with people who we love while we're doing it. Um, and I think that's something that I have learned even more so than I knew before. Um, one of the things that we talk a lot about here is that you are basically, when you're selecting students to go into a program, when you're going into auditions and you're looking for a group of people to be with you for six weeks, um, you want to, you want to select people that you want to be in the room with, like mm -hmm. who do you want to spend time with. Um, and I, I, I can, I can, I always say to students when they graduate or when they leave, look, if you end up losing out on a job because someone may maybe can sing higher than you, or maybe can dance a little bit better than you, that's okay because that's the reality. And it's about taste. It's all subjective. Um, but if you ever lose out to somebody because someone says, I would rather be in the room with that other person as a human being. Mm -hmm. That's where I feel like we've not done our job. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so I, I think I work really hard to make sure students do the things that some people call soft skills, but I think they're the hardest skills um, that are the most <laughs> important skills, which are um, how do you be prepared? How do you always arrive on time which is early, um, ready to work? How do you always make people around you better? How do you always take a note? How, are, you know, how do you find ways to make the people, the community of artists that are surrounding you feel like you've made the room a better place? Mm -hmm. And I think that is something that uh, we don't talk enough about. And I think we're going to start talking more about it post-COVID because I think we've realized how much we've missed it and how much we really, really realizing how much we valued that more than we thought maybe we did. Um, and that's mm -hmm. something that we've always valued here. 
I love it. And I, I appreciate your pun with the hardest and soft skills. I also appreciate you living and the truth of your, your lessons. You were 10 minutes early to our pod today. I mean, listen, listen. Yeah. To be early is to be on time. To be on time is to be late. That's the, that's the thing. And that's again, thing. I, I think we are, you know, time is money and you're wanting to make sure you're saving people money. Uh, by doing the best work that you can. And also it shows why people need to value paying for the arts uh, and mm -hmm. paying people for their work. You know, we've been having this conversation when we ask students now, alums, to come back and work with our current students and, you know, give us a little bit of time. I, I, one of the other things out of COVID I said is we're never asking anybody to do anything for free anymore. I mean, mm -hmm. it's always, mm -hmm. even if it's Here's 25 bucks, here's 50 bucks, here's 100 bucks, something or gas or whatever. We just we have to start valuing what it is we're doing in ways that uh, I don't think the world did prior to COVID and is starting to realize they have to do now. That's such a good point. Um, OK, so other than some of those softer skills, those difficult soft skills that you're teaching, how if, if I do come into Ball State and I feel like I'm a, a really good fit for the program, I'm, I'm everything that you want in terms of spending four years with someone. From a curricular perspective, what am I going? How am I going to come out changed four years later? So, what am I going to learn over the course of, of my four years at Ball State? Uh, we work really hard to make sure, first of all, no matter where the student is, that they're an actor. Uh, we want students who know how to tell stories, and so whether it's dancing, singing, or acting, or musicianship skills, which is something I'll talk about in a second, uh, we want to make sure that you are a storyteller who understands how to put narrative first in every, everything you're doing. Um, we want to make sure that you are a triple threat and or if not a triple threat, you can fake the third one so much that students or no one knows the difference of whether you can do it or not. But we, we really want to make sure students can do all three. Um, and we also want to ex do two things. One, we want to make sure students who have strengths can make those strengths even greater strengths while they're here by taking advanced classes. You mentioned we have a BFA in dance. So if mm -hmm. you're a musical theater student, we want to make sure that you are able to take advanced dance classes with our BFA dancers. Um, if you're an acting student who has a potential for a career as a, in camera or film, we want to make sure that we give you lots of experiences working on film projects with our telecommunications and um, and sort of our entire sort of film component that we have for students. We want to make sure you get a lot of chances to do that. We also want to improve those skills that may be deficient when you come in. So whether it's extra classes in, in uh, musicianship, whether it's extra classes in dance or an additional class in acting, whatever's going to bolster you and make you stronger, we want to make sure we do. We also really hit very hard on this musicianship idea and this musicality idea. Um, mm -hmm. All of our students in the musical theater, and this, and this kind of goes along with acting too, and the fact that in our acting program, all students do a senior capstone that is basically a one-person show. They have to create it on their own. They have to basically um, start it from scratch. And it can be anything they want it to be, but it's got to be narrative has to be at the heart of it, the, a personalized sort of something that they connect, they connect to. For our musical theater students, it's a cabaret class. That cabaret class is taught by um, Sutton Foster usually. Sutton's not teaching it now because she's doing Music Man. So Sierra Bogus is in and she's doing the class with our, our colleague, Michael Rafter. Students do that cabaret. We do it in Indianapolis at the cabaret, which is a beautiful cabaret venue down in Indianapolis. And then we go to Joe's Pub in March and all the students get a chance to do their senior cabaret there. So we want to make sure that students and they don't just create the songs. They don't just create sort of the, you know, the ideas, but they are rewriting the music. They are 
changing everything musically. And they are learning how to deal with uh, creating work for themselves when work doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and, and Cabaret is one of the places where that happens. So we feel like making students um, as prepared as possible by giving them the tools so that they can create work for themselves when work isn't there. And that was really beneficial during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. As a lot of our students found that some of the best creative work they said that they ever did happened when they were sitting in a room having to figure out what do I do now? Yeah. Um, and, and so those skills are, are really important. We also want to connect people to not only uh, industry professionals. Uh, we, we're very fortunate in the fact that our showcase programs, which are successful, we do three in Chicago, New York and L.A. All of them are successful, I think, because we're teaching our students great skills when they're here, but also because we connect with industry professionals from the different cities who come in and work with the students. So in New York, mm -hmm. it's Rachel Hoffman. Uh, she comes in. Rachel's been terrific to us. She's worked with our showcase now for seven years. Um, she directs the showcase. She also selects the students. So we, because we offer three different showcases, we do not take all of our students because we do the acting mm -hmm. and the musical theater and the dance showcases together. So if you come in as a dance major, you can audition for the showcases. You can also get into three showcases. Some students don't get into any showcases and some students choose not to go to any showcases because they're going to go to grad school or they want to go to Atlanta and do film work or that's totally their prerogative. But we feel like it's our job to prepare students for pro the professional world. And so we think of the showcases as the first step in that professional training um, and the the capstone experiences, whether it's the one person shows or the cabarets I mentioned earlier, we feel like that's our opportunity to give students a, sort of a culminating experience. There's a lot of industry professionals that come to our cabaret at Joe's Pub. Students have signed with people from that cabaret, but the showcases are different for us. We want those mm -hmm. to be bridges to the professional world, but we also want students to understand what that showcase, what that audition experience is going to be like in the professional world. Uh, and then the final thing I'll say is related to that is we also believe in connecting our students to an alumni network that can help them once they leave. Um, I think those alumni networks are really the way in which our students feel connected once they leave Muncie, Indiana, still to their institution. So mm -hmm. we have great alumni networks in all three major cities, along with other places across the country that can help our students, not just with getting work, meeting people, but also telling students where they can do their, you know, where do I go for the best, uh, the best food in this city and where do I live and all that stuff. We mm -hmm. give you a mentor that sort of helps guide you in those different cities um, so that every student has that um, once they leave. So those are some of the skills that I think are real important for us. So cool. What a comprehensive answer. So I'm going to break down at least two of those, those points that you just made. So, um, with what, all that said about the different disciplines, it sounds like if I'm hearing what, you're, what you've said, would you feel comfortable calling yourself an acting-focused musical theater school? Is that still primary for you of the three disciplines? I think what I would say is that we believe that whether whatever skill set, I think we're a triple threat program, but I think when students come in, the big thing we would say is there are some programs that allow students to jut off, like they're going to be dance-focused or they're going to be uh -huh. acting-focused. We believe everyone needs to be able to tell stories. And so I think it's fair to say that our, our program, no student leaves our program without the ability to be a, a storyteller that mm -hmm. understands the value of that in whatever they're doing within musical theater. 
And I, I, you know, we just did a dance concert here that was extraordinary uh, called the Valley of the Four Dolls, which was a original creation by one of our dance faculty members. And, uh, you know, we brought in the American College Theater Festival to evaluate it and adjudicate it, which we always do. And one of the comments that the person made was, well, I'm a little out of my element. I'm not really, you know, I'm not a dance person. You know, I'm a design person. This is the person that came mm-hmm. in. And I said, well, you know, we're now seeing that defining things, putting things in boxes doesn't really happen anymore, whether it's devised theater or whether it's, you know, creating new new musicals or whether it's creating a dance concert where it's being told by musical theater performers, but there's narrative at the heart of what's happening. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that we are always emphasizing that. So I don't know if that's a, a way of avoiding that answer, but I would no, say it's a great answer. It's narrative the- first, I would say, is probably the case. And we're, we're always here looking for to hear your narrative and how you put things more than where it can we put you to, specifically in a box. Um, the other thing I'll just compliment from what you said, which I, it seems like um, some schools are talking about in terms of a pandemic reaction, but it seems like the ability to create your own work and tell your own stories is also just speaks to the world that is, you know, the, the modern world. I mean, that's, that's been true for 10, 15 years, even before the, yeah. the pandemic of, of how can you tell your own story? How can you, whether it is in cabaret form or in writing or, you know, the multi-hyphenates that so many of our artist series we talk about, um, that's really smart to be preparing students that way. And I think, I guess the other thing I'd say in, in, in that is that I think what we're trying also to do, and I think every program should strive to do We've got to make people be able to pivot quickly from thing to thing without feeling mm-hmm. like that's not what I was trained to do. I think mm-hmm. any program that's worth worth their salt has to figure out how to make students adaptable. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that we, I don't know, I just feel like we, we, we've got, we got to a point several years ago and I think it's gotten so much better. And again, I think the pandemic's, we look for bright spots in the pandemic. This is one of them, I think. Um, being able to make someone, with regardless of situation, be able to go, oh, I can do that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know how to do that. You know, every one of our students has to work uh, a practicum their first year. And it's because if they can figure out, oh, you know, I love makeup. How can I tell sto- How can I create something where makeup's also in, in, involved in that? Not only does that help them get their first job, maybe when they first get out their day job, mm-hmm. but it also, you know, I talked to one of our graduates recently um, who did a creative writing minor while she was here, and she's now um, using that as a she she does a lot of editing, and so she's able to work that editing job, which pays her a lot of money around Mm -hmm. the art that she's doing because she's doing a lot of film work. And I just Mm -hmm. think you've got to find ways to tell students those skills that you're learning in the arts, people in other disciplines desperately want them. Mm -hmm. They need them. Problem solving, working with teams. I mean, all of that stuff is so helpful. And I think sometimes people thought that, well, that's more liberal arts. That's liberal arts. That's not necessarily when you're getting a BFA. I think that that's crazy. I think it needs to be... Mm -hmm regardless. Um, Mm. So anyway, that was my... Well, another great segue to my next question is just about kind of outside of the theater program. Tell us a little bit about what does Ball State offer a student that goes beyond um, just theater? It could be academics, could be about the campus facilities, et cetera. We, um, one of the things I'm most proud of is that uh, we have the highest percentage of students uh, at Ball State who are in our honors college uh, here at Ball State, theater and dance does. 
Um, the department is, you know, we have a large department. We're about 500 majors. We've got 45 full-time faculty and staff. So it's a, it's a big place. So I think that the, the, the university is a tremendous supporter of the department. We are um, at the forefront of everything the university does. And so I think that that's always something that, that I think students look for when they come to a campus is, how do people view the theater and dance program? Is it important? Mm -hmm. And I think that that is the case here. Ball State's a beautiful campus. If you haven't had a chance to visit, I frankly think you should go, and this is, again, something else that we lost a lot in the pandemic, is people just being able to go to different campuses and mm -hmm. look around. I think seeing the place makes... Um, makes all of the things you may have heard come to life or mm -hmm. may run counter to what you thought you knew. <laughs> Sometimes students go, oh, I always thought I wanted to go to this place. And then I went there and I went, eh, maybe not. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a beautiful campus. It's it's a very manageable number. We're about a we're mid-sized institution, about 20,000 students. Um, it's got a Division One athletics program. So we've got a football team and a basketball team, which I think is great for students to be able to have that campus life. Uh, but I also am pleased that there's a, a real focus on the arts and on things outside. A lot of great organizations that students can join in, whether it's student government or working with uh, with different entities across campus. Uh, we've got improv teams and things like that. I mean, there's a lot of stuff like that. Muncie is a typical Midwestern community, meaning uh, it is, you know, sort of the campus is sort of the heart of the, of the, the city. Uh, mm -hmm. What I do think Muncie has been able to do maybe better, better than a lot of other Midwestern cities is it has been able to sort of deal with the downturn uh, and, and sort of the moving away from blue collar jobs and figuring out how to reinvent itself. Um, mm -hmm. All State was actually founded uh, in, in 1918 by the it was the Ball Brothers and there were five Ball Brothers and it's Ball Jars. That's what Ball mm -hmm. State is, Ball Jars that you use to can. And <laughs> what happened was the Ball Brothers uh, came to Muncie, Indiana, and uh, started their company, their glass company. And when we got to, again, right about 1918, when World War I was happening in an effort to help the state of Indiana, they gifted uh, Ball State, which is which is a young teacher's college at that point. Hmm. They gifted the land and all things Ball State to the state of Indiana with the hope that it would be a boom for the city of Muncie. And, and, and it did. It started as a teacher's college that expanded into a university. So there's a great deal of history here that I think is really valuable. And, and the, the, the theme of ball or the ball state sort of symbol is beneficence, which is an angel that hmm. was uh, given by the state of Indiana to ball state as based on the sort of, um, the giving nature of the institution and beneficence, hmm. which is the name of the angel, which was created by the same, uh, artists that created the Lincoln Memorial, by the way. Um, mm -hmm. Beneficence is this idea, this symbol of giving and giving back, which is also, mm -hmm. I think, at the heart of what we do here. So I think it's a great community uh, for a lot of things, uh, for students, because I think it embraces all those values that we really care about. But it's also just a really warm, welcoming place, uh, an environment that makes students feel safe and understood and heard and and sort of embraced as as college students. I love it. And for basketball fans, these are not the same ball brothers of Lonzo and LaMelo. That is the big baller brand. OK, that is good. Just double checking. <laughs> that would be impressive if they did all of that, though, so quickly. That would be absolutely impressive. No, as a uh, as a sports fan myself, we are not part of the uh, the ball, the current ball 
uh, brothers, if you will. So, Wait, yeah. you can't say you're a sports fan yourself after yada yadaing the the football. You're like, yeah, we have football. Yeah, we have a basketball team. I was gonna be like, well, Bill obviously doesn't like sports. Season tickets to the Colts <laughs> football team, which hey is now, okay, a very state of d- denial today. It was a, a rough weekend for the Colts. Um, <laughs> yes. No, we are. We are. I've been to twelve Final Fours. No, you're you're talking to somebody who is a sports nut. All right. You're on the right pod here. Okay, good. Our our listeners and I have a love-hate relationship. They have a love-hate relationship with my sports analogies that I make at the end of every podcast. But it is what it is. Sports, listen, I'm going to, this is my little little one-minute thing here. Sports and what we do are the same exact. Mm, mm. Talk about it, Bill. Talk about it. The, how you practice slash how you rehearse Mm. is exact, that's what matters. The, the 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 game, the show is all residual of how well you are doing those that skill building mm. during practice. Mm. And so the idea of the ballet bar is no different than the football player going through, uh, you know, the beginning of practice and all the drills that they're doing or shooting mm-hmm. free throws if you're a basketball player or sitting in the batting cage if you're a baseball player. And if you can't do that. Well, you wouldn't that, want to sit in the batting cage, though. That's not no, well, it, well, that's stay, not going to help. Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> If you don't like that part, find mm-hmm. a new profession because mm-hmm. that's where the that's where the real art to me, that's where the real discipline in the art is created. Beautifully said. Um, I just love to talk. You mentioned a little bit about it in terms of the different disciplines. I'd love to talk a little bit more about sort of how the cross discipline works. So if I'm an actor who is really kind of interested in musical theater, but I think I want to focus on acting or a musical theater major who is really into dance or a dance major who, you know, how does that work if I I want to go one, but I, I do have some real interest in some of the others? We very much believe in what we call permeable silos, which basically are like everybody is in their sort of curricular program, but everybody can move to those other programs as the opportunities present themselves. So examples mm. of that, we do not, we have musical theater students and plays and dance concerts all the time. We have dance students and musicals and plays all the time. We have acting students and musicals and dance concerts all the time. We don't believe in you're here for, you know, four years and you're going to do only musicals. That's crazy mm-hmm. to us. This is the time where you should be experimenting and trying and failing um, because ultimately we're none of it. We're never going to do the quintessential production of anything here. What we're going to do is an extension of the classroom. That's what this mm-hmm. is about. How can we take that work in the classes and in an artful and beautiful and sometimes magical way, retell, tell stories, but it's ultimately about learning about those areas where you can get better. Um, And so for us, those silos and those permeable silos, that manifests itself in everything that we do. So if you're an actor or a musical theater student and in your end of your time, you wanna take a class over in our music department, we have one of the best uh, music recording facilities in the country, and you wanna go over and take a class over there in in more commercial sound, you can do that. If you wanna take a playwriting class, you can do that. If you want to take uh, classes in creative writing or anything, you want to do a uh, in the BABS programs. We don't have this can't happen in the BFA programs, but the BABS programs, you want to do a double major. We encourage that. We figure out ways so students can expand their horizons during their four years. And in our program, I think what we're attempting to do as much as possible is give students the rigor so that they can succeed in their discipline but the flexibility within that rigor 
impact, especially after a student has proven themselves over time, that they mm -hmm. can go outside of their area of discipline to create those other skill sets that will make them stronger as an artist. So mm -hmm. um, I think that's something that we always work to and strive to work to, towards with students. The one thing I will say about that, and it's just, I think, a reality that everybody should check as they go and look at programs, you know, the, one of the things that's happened more and more is that students want everything like students come in and they want to do it all. And I, and I think that we have worked really hard to say to students, we know from our experience that you can have flexibility here and you can have flexibility here, but you can't have flexibility here mm -hmm. um, because this place is a place where those skill sets take time. So, you know, one of the things that we've worked really hard at with that has to do with, you know, can I test out of these classes? Well, no, certain classes you can't test out of. Certain classes mm -hmm. you can, certain classes you can't. And they said, well, I already have experience with that. We get it, but we also understand that what we're teaching in many ways may be different than what you've taught, what you've had before. Mm -hmm. I think making sure you explore all of that with the schools you look at is important um, because I think that the worst thing that, that you can do if you walk in is have expectations that are based on you not asking questions initially. So mm -hmm. ask as many questions as you can because you should be interviewing a program as much as they're interviewing you. Mm -hmm. um, you should be feeling like at the, in the end, you've gotten all your questions answered as opposed to the program just saying, you know, let me see you do all of your skills and then I'll determine whether or not you fit, quote unquote, which I think is mm -hmm. crazy. So. So true. Um, my last question about schools, just so as you now, you know, are, have accepted students and students are going doing those beautiful visits and checking out the wonderful Muncie um, and seeing, does this school feel like it's the right fit for me? Why do you feel like students sometimes will say no? Why would a student say, actually, Ball State's not necessarily the right school for me? It's a great question. I think sometimes it has to do with location. Um, some students want to be in a more urban setting. That is not who we are. Um, I think that the there's strengths and weaknesses between urban and rural. And I think just knowing that going in, I think some students want a college experience. They want the college campus. They want the football. They want the basketball. They want, uh, you know, dorm. So you're yada yachting it again. You're rolling your eyes at football yada, and basketball. Yada, yada, yada. <laughs> I almost said it. And I went, no, no, but, but I think students, some students want that. Other students want to live in Boston, Chicago, New York. Mm -hmm. That's not who we are. Um, and I think, frankly, if you're going to go to school for four years and you're going to invest that time and that energy and that being there for four years, it's good to have focus. And I think it's harder to focus sometimes when you're in that more urban setting because mm -hmm. there's so many things that can take you out. Now, that's not to say that we haven't you know, made adjustments to students who have gotten opportunities um, and, and figured out ways to make that happen. But the story that I always tell, and I love this story, is um, we have a, a graduate of ours, Kayla Davion, who graduated in 2017. She's on um, Tina Turner right now. She's going in. She's She's been covering Tina, um, but she's going to become the cover for Tina um, here in another month. Uh, she'll be doing Saturday, Sunday, and Wednesday matinees. Uh, but she's one of the ICATs right now. But anyway, when she graduated, she went through her New York Showcase audition, and she uh, – got an agent and she immediately booked waitress um, from that. And it was exciting and great. And they said, you're going to start May 2nd and uh, from her agent. And so anyway, she told her agent, she said, I can't do it. I'm not going to take it. And the agent was like, totally dumbfounded. Like, what are you talking about? And she's like, um, I worked very hard to get my college degree. Um, and I'm going to walk across that stage on May 6th. So um, if they can renegotiate from that, that's fine. But I will be 
graduating and walking across the stage. I'm my first person in my family to graduate from college. And so um, I just think that that's, again, that's part of what I love about our students and that idea of she wanted a college experience. She wanted that opportunity to be on a college campus. And that was what she valued. Some students aren't looking for that kind of experience. Some students are looking for, again, an experience that is more conservatory with that kind of rigor without that sort of more broad uh, Mm -hmm. experience in college. That's not who we are. You know, Um, we don't we also don't want students to leave and just, you know, only be able to sort of have conversations about Wicket. Like we want you to understand and have a conversation about what do you think about happening right now with the bill in Congress and whether it's going to go through and what is your situation with the world as a whole and everything we've gone through in the last two years Mm. uh, about sort of the the, the social unrest and how that has led to changes that we've needed to see for so many years. How does Mm. that affect your art? Um, That's really something that we want our students to have an opinion about. Um, because we think that that's going to make them a better artist. Beautifully said. But how we got to know, how did it end with Kayla? Did they renegotiate? Renegotiated. Let's go. Yep. Let's go. Yeah. She's done three Broadway shows since she she left. We have another student, Ren Rivera, and they immediately walked right into A Jagged Little Pill on Broadway from their virtual showcase. So we're, 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 we're you know, we've got students all over uh, New York right now on Broadway. And But again, we also, again, another thing about what makes different... I value the student teaching in rural Indiana theater education just as much as I do Kayla. Because mm. mm. right now, art happens everywhere, not just in New York, not just in Chicago, not just in L.A. Um, and it's frankly more important in many ways that we're bringing arts to a kid that doesn't get it mm. um, unless they has have that teacher or that person they can look up to to say, wow, that person helped save me from me not knowing what I was going to do with my life. So it's so true. Um, we're going to take a short break. And in a second here, we'll be back with Bill to talk about the Ball State audition process. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Well, we are back with Bill Jenkins, and we're going to talk a little bit about the audition process. So, Bill, I'll start you off with a, a pretty tough question, which is just in general, what do you think makes a great audition for you? Um, I think for me, it's the student knowing who they are and not trying to be the best version of themselves that they think they that we want them to be. Uh, I think that's the hardest thing for for students to understand. You're enough. 
it's just mm-hmm. you. Uh, we don't need you to sing the loudest or do the funniest monologue. We just need you to be you. Um, and that's something that I think is really a hard skill to learn um, because we have we have constantly been told more and more. We want you to be, you know, animated. And, and, and that's not something that we're looking for. We just want students to be comfortable in their own skin and somebody who ultimately can, again, tell a story in an authentically real, honest and genuine way, whether they're singing, acting or dancing. Um, and, and that, I think, is something that's... Um, Maturity helps with that, but also just being comfortable, not worrying about what anybody else is doing or whatever anybody else wants you to do, just doing what you feel good about. And that's real important to me. And I think it's really important to all my colleagues. Is there anything that you feel like you definitely don't want to see in a student's audition? Um, I think things that, that, that immediately are turnoffs for us. And I would say, as opposed to audition, I would say the entire audition process uh, I think students that come in with a great deal of um, egotism, uh, general sort of like, I got it all figured out. Um, our take is always, if you got it all figured out, then why are you going to college? Uh, you know, just head on to wherever you're going to go. Um, I think students that uh, that are unwilling and un- or unable, I shouldn't say unwilling. I think many times it's an inability to take a note. Mm-hmm. Uh, to adjust, to change, to find a way to try something in a different way. There's no right way or wrong way. Well, some people could say there's a wrong way, but there's no right way to do something. Uh, there are better ways. There are ways that may give you more opportunity and potential for growth and change and uh, telling a story in a way that ultimately has never been told before. But there's no wrong ways. And I think sometimes people are no, you know, not the, the best way. And I think sometimes, especially with standardized testing, we've gotten to a point where it's like, what's the right answer? Mm-hmm. What's the best way? Um, so I think students going into auditions with an open mind and saying, I am going to be as malleable and as directable and as changeable as possible um, in terms of the what it is that I'm doing when I'm working with a coach, when I'm working with a teacher, when I'm working with a, a potential artist that I could work with hand in hand for four years and showing that ability to adjust and, uh, and, and maneuver on the fly is really important to us. Um, I think students also that come in that are singing, I always say, sing something you could sing on your sickest day. Because I think sometimes we, especially with contemporary writers in the last 20 years, musical theater songs are written, and especially for female identifying singers, notes that human beings can't even begin to be able to do on a regular basis because they are just not attainable just because of the, 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 the human condition. Um, so singing things that ultimately put you in a place of vocal duress Mm-hmm. that make us worried for you. Um, that's that's something that immediately for us is a, is a turnoff, not because you, it's not because we're not turned off for you, but we're, we're worried for you, I guess mm-hmm. is what I should say. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to be worried for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also would say for the auditions and, and, and something that's really important to us, again, I mentioned it before, but we want students who pick material that is, indicative of the kinds of stories that they want to tell, uh, the the kinds of monologues that they want to do. What you do in an audition tells us something about you. 
And, mm-hmm. and so select things, select material that makes us go, oh, you, you, you're a fan of the old school stuff. Great. Mm-hmm. Or you like new school stuff, but understand how to add your own twist to it. Great. Or you understand that writer, that, that playwright that is so important right now in the canon that mm-hmm. as we relook at the canon and reinvestigate what should be in the canon versus the things that have always been in the canon, how do we make sure we bring those new authors and new voices to light? That's the kind of stuff we're looking for in auditions constantly. Um, what about, so you talked a little bit about adjustments. This is my favorite question to ask. Is just like, if you had to estimate in your own uh, um, scorekeeping or however you're evaluating an audition, how much of the decision to get a yes artistically is about the skill displayed in the material? So in the songs, in the monologues that they first do versus maybe some of those intangibles with interview questions or adjustments or all the other things that happen when they go in the room. So how much is really about the material for you versus how much is about all the other stuff? Uh, Let me answer that in two parts. The first one is what I think the vast majority, my experience has been the vast majority of people do versus what we do. Um, At least from my experience, I think most people would say it's about an 80, 20 split, 80% what you present 20% all those soft things. I think we're 50, 50. Hmm. I feel like, if, if, if you come in and you can, you know, you're a baller dancer and you're an amazing actor and you can sing the lights out. But if you if you walk out of the room and are crappy to our student who's in the hallway, mm-hmm. you're immediately off our list. It doesn't matter whether or not you can do all those other things. We just don't care. Um, I really think that that's something that tells you a lot about the school. Mm-hmm. Um you know, there was a situation we had one time where I was in an elevator at Unifieds and I was standing, this is 10 years ago, and I was standing in the back of an elevator uh, and somebody walked in with a, uh, an auditionee with a parent and they started talking derogatorily about our school and they didn't know I was there. And it was one of those, you know, it was at the the Hilton in Chicago. And so people are around me. But, you know, there's those mirrors in those elevators. So eventually everybody started walking out and you could see the mom see me and you could see the kid see the mom's look. And I just I just I kind of had my head down and I just I let them do their thing. And then I walked off the elevator and as I walked off the elevator, I just turned around and I said, break a leg with the rest of your auditions. And I just walked away. Ooh. And I just <laughs> crossed that name off the list, even mm-hmm. though that person had been someone we were interested in. And again, I, that was someone where ultimately you could only find out so much in five minutes. I mean, you don't have, you know, you don't 10 minutes, I guess, in some situations. Mm-hmm. But the fact is you don't have as much time so as you want. So I think that it would be for us, it's, it's for sure 50, 50. Mm-hmm. And we do things like we, if you, if you're one of the students who makes a, a, a sort of like a priority list for us early on, where we're really interested in, we're cultivating you and seeing things, we latch you up with current students. So you can email those students and ask mm-hmm. questions and we, you know, make sure that you have contacts with faculty and stuff. Students who are constantly engaging in that process those are the students that were immediately about. It. And that for us, that makes a difference in things like, can I find more financial support for that student? Mm-hmm. Or can mm-hmm. I find other ways to incentivize that student's um, potential to want to come to us? We, we, we think of us as creating, a, it's like creating a group of 
whether it's 18 to 24 students that are going to become a fam- a mini family in that little grouping. And so I think for us, it's definitely 50. And then for your school, how much is based on academics in terms of, let's say I'm on that priority list. I really like this number, this pool of people. How does that work now in interacting with the academic university and grades and SATs and all those things? Right. So one of the things I'll say about Ball State is we're test optional. That's something that we are very proud of. I know a lot of schools are starting to go to that. I think that's really important, especially as we look at the uh, the natural biases that exist in this country with testing uh, unfairly advantaging uh, more people with from you know higher economic means. Um, mm-hmm. So we're really proud of that. Um, we are uh, a school that ultimately obviously can't take a student if they don't meet minimum academic standards. Um, here at Ball State, those standards have continued to go up. Incoming, you know, uh, GPA average for our students is about a 3.3 in terms of GPA. We are, uh, you know, this is the place where I always say when your parents look at you and say, you know, that math class, the grade in that math class may matter. Um, This is the point where all that comes comes home. You know, it's like it's true. Um, So we have a great relationship with admissions um, in terms of contacting them if a student's on the wait list or contacting them if a student's on borderline related to some financial need and saying, this is a, a student with high, um, you know, high ability. We feel like they're really a student that could really make the program better and make the university better. We, we have seen the university make alterations to get that student in. So that's something that we would encourage students to do if they're on the borderline. We obviously can't mm-hmm. make a student student's entire GPA, you know, move up a full point. But what we can do is we can try to help sort of grease the wheel in those situations. Mm -hmm. We have financial packages that are specific to the arts where uh, we can get a student additional resources based on their talent. Uh, And that's something we do uh, quite a bit as we work to incentivize students. And and something I do want to mention, I've, I've sort of alluded to it, but we are tremendously focused here and have been for a long time on making sure that we create representation in our in our you know our groups of students that we bring to campus so that we are looking like the world these students are going to enter and mm-hmm. you know back in in, Jan, in June of 2020 uh, we had a you know when everything was happening in our country and the George Floyd murder happened you know we worked very hard uh, to not just be a bunch of words coming out of this institution, but we put together an action plan that was put on the website in June of 2020 that said, we believe in this, we've believed in this, here are six ways we're gonna hold ourselves accountable. Mm -hmm. And we did that. And through all of last year, we held ourselves accountable in ways. We created a new fund that was specifically designated to try to assist our BIPOC students who were underprivileged when they had emergency financial need. We created a a new sort of demand with our seasons that 60% of our offerings were going to be from BIPOC um, uh, and and other, um, you know, previously marginalized communities in terms of authorship in our season. We created a new student advisory group that has representation across all of our disciplines that specifically brings to the table on monthly meetings issues the students have so students have voice. We want to make sure that we are creating a program where students don't feel like uh, decisions are happening in a vacuum and they have no voice in those decisions. Um, Because I think proactivity is the is the is what student programs should be doing, not reactive. And I think for too many programs, they found themselves in a reactive place. And I feel like I'm proud of the fact that we've been proactive, and and you know we've seen a 
our increase in, as an example, BIPOC um, enrollment in our students in the last 15 years, that has more than doubled in terms of what we've done at Ball State. And that is, to me, putting your money where your mouth is. While we're still on the auditions, and I will promise we'll talk more about um, a little bit of um, what's going on in the world too, but while we're still on auditions, um, I'd love to talk about how the, you talked about, you know, for students, how the disciplines interact, how, as you're scoring students, or as you're, you know, looking at auditions, how does it work with my acting, my singing, dance, especially, let's say, for musical theater? Right. How do those three disciplines get scored? Does, does one get dropped? Are they weighted all evenly? You know, how, how do you sort of do that? Yeah, they're weighted all evenly. Uh, we have a very complicated scoring system that we've created that allows for what we think of as... Um, an area perhaps getting sort of like a wild card, sort of say, listen, we know this student's voice may be weaker than others, but this student is such an amazing dancer or such an mm -hmm. amazing actor. This is, would be our gimme, so to speak. We will do anything we can to get this student in. Mm -hmm. um, we also will look really closely, as I said before, musicianship matters to us. So there's there's a musicianship test that students take just so we have a sort of a general benchmark of where students are, um, that students will take that ways into it as well. But mm -hmm. those other skills we talked about, how the student is in the room, that is as e that is equal to mm -hmm. singing, acting, dancing and musicianship for us. So mm -hmm. all five of those things are weighted the same. And then how does this work with video auditions? So if I understand correctly, you guys, you're not, not using pre-screens, but you will accept a pre-screen as a video audition. How does that work both in terms of how you maybe evaluate some of those harder, softer skills, but then also how does that get weighed compared to people who are doing live auditions for you? Well, we learned a lot, I think, as we all did during the pandemic about what you could do virtually versus what you couldn't do virtually. I think the thing we learned that you can do virtually is provided you can ensure that there's technological, um, that every student has a similar technological ability, which, again, is not always the case. And one of the things that we're really working to make sure students can have equal footing. But we, we try to look and give students opportunities if we feel like technologically they have suffered based on the fact that they did an audition and they didn't sound great, but we couldn't tell if it was an equipment thing or if it was more about, you know, the, their internet access as an example. Mm -hmm. We'll give students a chance. We'll call them and say, you know, can you resubmit this song? Can you find some other way or place to do it, et cetera? We, we, I think we give a little more flex there than maybe we would have in the past now that we mm -hmm. understand this. Um, Back before we were dealing with the pandemic, I think I always told students it's really hard if you're doing a video audition um, to get the same kind of consideration than if you were in person, uh, whether it's at Unifieds or, you know, or if you're, you know, doing the, the special MTCA auditions we set up or whether it's, you know, dealing with auditions on campus. That has changed and altered now since the pandemic. I feel like we are far more the onus is on us to change, not on students to change. And I think we've changed by making sure that we give more accessibility, more opportunity to say, oh, that was a fail. Let's have the student retry that. Uh, and, and, and I think that we, we are consi consistently looking at each student individually and going, there's something there. We don't think the technology allowed us to see it to the extent that we'd like to. We're going to have the student redo it. Um, that's something that we're, we're, we're constantly working on and we'll constantly work on this year. 
Um, uh, you spoke a little bit about, you know, talking about sort of the specific challenges of 2021 and beyond. Um, I spoke a little bit about sort of some of the uh, commitments you've made to BIPOC students. Um, so I'd love to just hear if there's anything else you wanted to say about that sort of the specific discussions around the demand for racial equity, but also then just to talk a little bit about the virtual world and what you've learned in 2020 and, and what you're carrying forward into 2021 and beyond. I, I would say that, um, we talked about the fact that we're in the middle of Muncie, Indiana. Uh, and, and I think that the thing I've realized more than anything is that des- a desire for something and, an, and, a, and, a, and a need for something and a want for something doesn't make it necessarily achievable unless you figure out how to activize it or, and this again, the word activism, how do you create that active push to make those things happen in ways that ultimately maybe before I would have been a little bit more inclined to go, I don't know what to do. Now I'm just like, what's the next thing that we can do? How can we push the envelope even farther? I would encourage students if that's an important part, and I would hope it would be important for any person going into the arts, that they ask difficult questions of schools about how they are activating their goals, not just what their goals are. Um, I think we get a free pass in education that I think is unfair. And I think we've got to figure out how to hold ourselves more accountable. Hmm. Um, I, 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 I just feel so strongly, I give an example. I had a, a difficult conversation I had with a, with a, with a, with a great friend and a great colleague, um, about an interaction that that colleague had had, a previous interaction with a colleague of mine who was a a, a BIPOC um, individual. And that conversation led to, I think, a real successful place where I I saw, and, and and my colleague who was BIPOC looked at me and said, that's activism in action. That's actually advocacy in action. Uh, it's it's actually having difficult conversations to white people, to privileged people in a room having conversations that aren't about, let's talk about all the ways in which all of this has changed. No, it's about, let me talk tr- talk to you about a place where I saw how you can do better and I would want you to do the same about how I can do better. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes back to the heart of what I think the last year and a half, two years has taught me, which is the biggest fault, the biggest, um, saddest thing is when people are unwilling to have the conversation and it's because they're afraid to have it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the real thing that makes me just real emotional about it because it's like, I, I don't want to say something that I'll regret. I don't want to, I don't want to venture into territory where I may, may screw up. I would rather Mm -hmm. say I'm going to screw up. Let's talk. Let's mm-hmm. figure out how to make this better. Let's change. What can we change here? And I had a student, again, in one of our student advisory meetings, a great student of ours who last year made a comment to me when they 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 talked about a particular show we did and how what was represented on the stage they didn't feel like was what was indicative of Ball State. And mm. I found myself totally agreeing and going, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And afterwards, the student came up to me and said, I just want you to know, while I appreciate the fact that you're saying it's right, I need you to give me space to tell you how I feel 
before you try to solve the problem. Give me space to say, let me get it all out. And I was like, heard. And so now when somebody presents something, I go, go on. (laughs) And I just start writing it down. I just start writing it down. And then I figure out how my part, my brain, which is always about how do you solve it, um, can sort of activate things. So that's my take. That's a really, it's a really good note. And so I think for a lot of people to hear, especially as we have more and more of these conversations. And if we have had a lot of these conversations, sometimes I think we have a tendency to go, yeah, 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 I know, I know. I'm already past that. I've been doing that already. I'm, you know, as opposed to really fully hearing someone out and saying, okay, I want to hear your full lived experience. Mm -hmm. And then I can maybe respond, or maybe this isn't actually the right place for me to respond. Maybe I just have to take that with me and, and learn from it. Yeah. Let's just talk a little bit about the virtual world too. So that was mostly on the demands of racial equity, but yeah. I, I, w- I would say in terms of the virtual world, the thing that we've learned the most here is creating an authentic experience for students. While it can never be duplicated virtually, we can create situations and circumstances where students feel as though uh, positive things are happening and we are moving forward rather than just spinning our wheels. Mm-hmm. I'll give the best example I can. You know, we um, nobody had showcases last year. I mean, you couldn't. Uh, we were actually very lucky in the fact that we were the, there the week before in New York. Everything happened in 2020, so we were the, one of the only schools that actually got our showcase in and got our cabaret in, and then everything shut down literally the next Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, for us. Uh, we did a virtual showcase and we invested a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of resources in making sure the virtual showcase wasn't, didn't just happen, but that the quality of production happened in a way we felt like was indicative of what we wanted students to feel like they had, they had gotten something out of it. Right. Mm -hmm. We signed more students last year from the virtual showcase than we had the three years previous. Hmm. And I think it's because we let the students' work speak for itself, but we also invested the resources necessary into doing that. And so for me, what I, I think I've learned is, is doing something is different than doing something well. Hmm. Um, the second thing I've learned is that nothing beats being in a theater with other human beings and experiencing theater. Um, we are opening Bring It On. On Friday here, uh, we're very fortunate in the fact one of our fabulous alums, uh, Megan Farley, who's the um, associate director and um, associate choreographer on Six, has come in and she's directing it. And she has been an amazing person to bring back to campus. Uh, and, And we also have a mask exception policy that we have gotten approved, which has rigid protocols where our students will be similar to New York. All the audience will be masked. Everyone backstage will be masked, but our students will be unmasked. And we're very Mm -hmm. excited about that. We also have a a situation where the vast majority uh, of our entire company, in fact, you could, you know, I can't get into the numbers because of obviously, say, you know, um, privacy issues. But let's just say we're we're looking real good in terms of the total uh, vaccines that are happening within our casts. So the fact of the matter is we're in a place where we can do it because everybody has understood how to work as a team mm-hmm. and do what's for the good of the whole. So I think that the, the second thing I've learned is being in a theater is magical and that will never change. Um, and the third thing is finding out about the importance of other at a time where we were so caught with ourselves for so long, we 
not having that and, 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 and helping students rediscover the importance of community has been a real challenge. Uh, we had a faculty meeting recently where a colleague stepped forward and said, students are in such a, a, a really tough place right now. I, I feel like I, I go home and it, I, I feel like I'm losing myself because I'm trying so hard to help my students, whether it's mm -hmm. what they've gone through with the pandemic, what they've gone through with all, you know, all the social justice stuff we've talked about, and what they've just gone through with the sort of the sadness of losing the last 20 months of their life, not having a homecoming and not having their senior graduation and not have and so we found that seniors are a lot different than freshmen and sophomores because they didn't experience that in the same way mm -hmm. so i think taking each individual technologically i'm thinking uh, that manifests itself in sort of where students are now looking at each individual student in in their own unique way not mm -hmm. putting students and groups. These are the, this, you know, the acting students, the design tech students, the theater ed students. It's not that it's more the freshman acting students, mm -hmm. the sophomore design tech students, the junior musical theater students. Every group is a dynamic is different. Mm -hmm. um, and being able to be flexible with that as a faculty and as a, as an educator has been a challenge, but I think has been worth it because we've been able to sort of meet students where they are. It's, we certainly have noticed that in MTCA, the difference between the 2019 class, the 2020 class, and now the 2021. I mean, it is like three completely different experiences in terms of what what their experiences of the pandemic was, depending what was taken away from them, what the how they had to adjust, how they had to pivot, what they're good at, what skills they need more help with. It's three different total classes. Oh, well, we had a student, uh, our first year experience class, there was a meeting at which a, a student asked, and they were totally... When they asked the question, they were very authentic and genuine. When they said it, they said, "How do you make friends?" Hmm. And I, and I, when I heard that, I was like, "What?" And then I started thinking, "They've been trapped in this yeah. for yeah. year and a half. They don't know yeah. how to interact. They yeah. don't. They don't know how to how to how to how to do things that ultimately, for many of us, seem so commonplace." Yeah. Uh, and 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 having patience with that. Um, we call it around here, the place between having grace and demanding and having rigor. Mm -hmm. How do we find that, that happy place? And it's hard, mm -hmm. it's not going to be easy. And I think anybody who says it is, isn't being honest with people. It's hard. And so mm -hmm. we are just continuously, continue, continuously saying to students, we hear what you're saying. Let us try to pivot again. We'll try to, mm -hmm. let me try to re think that and that's all you could do speaking of, of for 2022 are you guys looking at doing any virtual editions are, are there any along with the unifieds is there potentially op option for a virtual live audition yes, yes we have if you go to bsu.edu slash theater dance you can go to that website and you can see there's a whole audition page we have campus auditions we will be at the unifieds in the different cities and there's a virtual audition uh, component as well um, there's also a, several pages that we would suggest students that they look at in terms of our expectations in the auditions things that we would recommend just general things that i think will help mm -hmm. students as they go through that the person that i i want to make sure i mention who is our number one 
sort of guru. We actually have two. First of all, Eva Patton is our faculty coordinator for all of our auditions. Eva worked at Fordham for a number of years in New York. She's a terrific acting teacher. She's been here now for 10 years and she coordinates all of our auditions from a faculty perspective. And then our recruitment coordinator, um, who's a professional personnel member, is Andrea Sadler. Those are the two people that you need to know the um, most, sort of you'll know most closely through the process. Mm -hmm. Any questions you have, their email addresses are there on the site. You can access that. They can give you the, the hints and sort of the things that we're thinking about. You need to apply to Ball State University as well. Um, now, some students prefer to go through the audition before they do the application. You're totally able to do that, but just uh, be aware that financial packages tend to really be more robust for those individuals who go through this process earlier rather than later. Hmm. And so we always recommend to students, uh, the application is is very minimal. Um, we would suggest to students that they get those applications in as soon as they can. That's fantastic advice. And that leads us to our last question, which is just, is there any other advice that you'd want to give to a prospective student, maybe who's looking at Ball State this specifically, and maybe looking this year, maybe it's a 17 year old who is thinking about auditioning in the coming months, anything else that you'd really want them to know before they look at your school? Well, hopefully, hopefully you've gotten a sense of who we are. Um, you know, we, we are, a we are a program that I think is going to make you better. Um, but we also want you to you to come here and make us better. Um, and, and that's by you being authentic, by you being um, kind and, 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 and generous, um, and also ultimately a, a good person. Because this is a business where I feel like very much uh, what we put into the world, we will get back. Mm -hmm. um, and again, what we learned in the last two years, we got to put more good into the world. Um, and we really feel like here you're going to, you're going to create amazing art. You're going to meet some of the best friends of your life. You're going to work with amazing teachers who are professionally active right now doing what it is that they're doing. You know, we were fortunate enough to have Michael Rafter and Didi Batiste come and do a workshop there for MTCA and, and, and Michael, yeah. you know, Michael's going to musical direct funny girl on Broadway. Um, and Dee Dee is right now working at the Goodman Theater in Chicago, and she's one of the best acting teachers ever. Um, and and they're, they're the kind of indicative of the kind of people that you'll get to work with. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think as you go into this season, it's all going to be okay. You're going to do great. Mm -hmm. uh, breathe um, and, and be yourself. Just, just know, that, know that you bring value into this and that you ultimately have something to offer. And and be authentically you. And I think if you do that, you're going to find there's a lot of great schools. You're going to find a great school. And don't allow what other people think is the right path for you to take you down that path because you need to go on your path. Um, and that path may not be what you initially expected it to be. My guess is that 85 to 90% of the students think right now one thing and will see a completely different reality by the time they get a year from now. Uh, and that's a good thing. It's not, it's not a like a, oh my gosh, uh, things are changing, paths are changing. That's good. That's good because we all learned that when paths change, as they did 20 months ago, how you pivot and adjust and adapt will make the difference between you being truly feeling fulfilled and versus feeling empty. And we want people to feel fulfilled. 
just as you're going to be teaching them at your school how to adjust and change and pivot. How perfect. Uh Um, If people loved hearing you today, which I imagine they must have, I know they can follow at Ball State University. That's on Instagram. Do you have um, specific tags in your own socials that you'd want people to follow? I am Instagram Ball State Bill. How about that? There you go. Ball State Bill. By the way, I also did notice you dropped a baller, a baller dancer in there. I did indeed. You can use that anytime you want. You go to Ball State, you get to be baller anytime you want. Uh, Ball State Bill on Instagram, uh, on Facebook, it's William Jenkins. Um, and, uh, I am also Ball State Bill on the TikTok, which yes. I'm working on. I have an 11 year old who's helping me and is desperately trying to get me to start to post <laughs> more. I posted a, uh, last year we do, we do a, we do a big fundraiser called One Ball State Day and we are the reigning Ball State champions. It's the online day of giving last year. We, meaning the Department of Theater and Dance, beat athletics, the entirety of athletics for the third year in a row. Mm. Thank you very much. But as part of that, I had to dye my hair pink, which I did. (laughs) And uh, so uh, that was why I started the TikTok page. Like, Bill, you know, people got to people got to find you You got to go to TikTok. So I did. We love it. And I'm learning. I'm learning. Competitive beneficence. That's what we're getting from Ball State. I love it. 100%. Well, Bill, thank you so much for the time today. We really, really appreciate it. It was great to chat with you. Thanks to both of you. Take care. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Bill. I think he is such a warm and intelligent man. He was fun. He was funny. Um, and I hope you can feel through the airwaves how passionate he is about what we were discussing, because um, I certainly could uh, on my end. Um, there is a lot to dive deeper into here. So I'm going to give some honorable mentions to the idea of like pivoting and changing lanes. We've discussed that somewhat, and we'll probably go deeper into future episodes. Um, and a near-miss silver prize to how much can I really do, um, which we'll definitely find some time to talk about in terms of these over full ideas of what will happen in a college world. Um, but Bill gave me this beautiful setup pass with his discussion of practice slash rehearsal during his sports analogy, and I just can't resist joining him on it. So I'm going to. Um, I really like the way Bill discussed how important it is to love your practice. Um, We talk a lot about process over product here, but if you really narrow in on what we mean by process, we're talking about practice slash rehearsal, right? In the sports world, they have this saying that says, practice doesn't make perfect, perfect practice does, which is really a way of just saying it matters how you practice, not just that you do. Uh, And while I think in the artistic world, we would question if there's such a thing as perfect practice, we still do agree that the way that you practice is incredibly important, that it be something that is challenging and improving you and not just settling in old habits or instincts, which actually could be detrimental to your artistic growth. That's part of the reason MPCA, why we emphasize having artistic experts in each discipline on our team with your coaches only teaching what they are truly expert in so that your practice will be most productive. But back to what Bill said, which is the idea of loving how you practice and how much that's so important. Um, Bill talked a little bit about the balance between rigor and grace in their program in this pandemic moment. And I think that's true for us as artists as we practice. Not only do we have to have enough expertise in our practice that it is productive and enough rigor, but we need to be able to enjoy it enough that we can find consistency in it. If there is no love of art, but only rigor in the way that we practice, it will not be sustainable. And importantly, as Bill said, the practice is the thing you do more of than the games. The show is just the result of all that work. If you've set up the way you rehearse the right way, 
then the show can be the easy part, right? It's just a continued rehearsal, but now there are people watching. But from a time perspective, that work, that is the vast majority of what we do. To make the sports analogy you're all dying for, I know you want it, I'm going to bring back our old friend Steve Nash, who's a former NBA MVP. He's a point guard. Um, for his second bit of wisdom on the pod, he also talked a bit about resiliency earlier if, for those fans. Um, when he was nearing the end of his career and ultimately deciding to retire, people were pretty surprised. Right? They would point out to him, he may no longer be at an MVP level as a player, but he was still a really impactful player who could help a team win. And didn't he want to try to squeeze out another year or two of 82 games where he certainly was still good enough to do so? And he would say that the 82 games were not the problem. Until the very end, he loved every second he was on the court and could definitely have filled out a few more seasons of time. But that preparation, the off-season training, the in-season work on his body, the weightlifting, the medical treatment treatments, all of that became too much and he had come to hate it. He'd come to really loathe that work. And he knew, I think correctly, he knew if I'm not able to prepare with that level of joy that I bring to the game, then I really have no business walking on that court. So... For all of you, how can we find a productive practice that has enough joy in it for us to carry that joy into those audition rooms? Well, if you found this episode productive and you want to hear more, please grace us with a follow. Uh, we would also appreciate you if you were to rate us, review us, comment on us, do whatever you got to do. We suggest five stars if you practice competitive beneficence and an ironic five stars if you perform beneficent competition. Um, you can also reach out to us with questions for the pod at mailbag at mappingthecollegeedition.com or reach out to Megan and me directly at charmer7 and at meganmarie2014. If you're interested in working with MTCA for help with your individual prep for your college audition journey, please check us out at mtcollegeauditions.com. You can also follow us at Musical Theater College Auditions, this is on Instagram, or at TweetMTCA on Twitter. Um, I just said Twitter like a British person, on Twitter. Uh, to my young artists out there mapping their journeys, don't forget, soft skills can be hard, but not all hard skills are easy. We'll see you next week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.